Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of comic books that have come out this week and review them is the big twist that we have on this show. Twist, we review them so you don't have to read them. That's not true. You should read them. Come on, guys. Come on. Get with the program. Let's kick off this program by talking about our first book here, Superman, The Last Days of Lex Luthor, number one from DC Comics, written by Mark Wade, art by Brian Hitch. Now, this is a black label book, so it takes place out of continuity. And as you can probably tell from the title, it focuses on Lex Luthor revealing to Superman that he is dying. And the twist here in this book is that Lex Luthor challenges Superman to save his life because Superman can't let anybody die. This book to me, first of all, great creative team. But Mm. this is definitely to me Mark Wade doing a flip, flip back and reverse it on all star Superman is my take. Um, oh, All Star Lex. Yes, All Star Lex. There you go. Uh, um, and I liked it. <laughs> yeah, and I liked it. Um, twist. I, I, a twist. But we're going to have a lot of twists in this oh episode of the stack. Uh, first twist, Pete and I here. Uh, but this comic, <laughs> I uh, I agree. It's really good. Mark Wade is someone I feel like uh, he's an elder statesman in the comic book biz right now uh, because he comes on some specific books and just writes these targeted stories that you can tell he wants to write. They're super thoughtful, uh, really dense creatively. And this, like we get um, a lot of flashback to to Lex and Clark growing up. Uh, right, which is something that I forget is how it is in main. DC how do you content. feel about that? Because I, I feel like that was a retcon, and I I understand the thought process there, but it it doesn't work for me. The idea that they both grew up in Smallville that they were kind of friends, I don't love it. Agreed, because I'm like Lex is from Smallville. The whole point is he's like a big city fi die mm-hmm. guy, so like he shouldn't be like uh, growing up on his own farm and just he had bad parents, so he's evil. It's like right. a little too close to home. Yeah, but that said, I mean, if you can get past that, and you probably can get past that, there's good characterization here. I think Mark Wade uses that relationship to the maximum amount for emotional impact. And one thing that I was really impressed by, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but Brian Hitch, relatively restrained in this book, like he, granted, there's a big spider bot monster that destroys a city, but it doesn't feel like a typical Brian Hitch book. Mark Wade leans into more characterization, personal scenes, one-on-one scenes with Lex and Superman, which is not what you'd expect from Brian Hitch. And I do think it works here. He gives a fair amount of character to these characters. Yeah, it, and it's just it's less about his style. I mean, this is sort of what you said. It's less about a hitch book, and it feels like it's a Mark Wade book that's mm-hmm. being drawn to be a just a great, uh, emotive Mark Wade book. And there's some mystery here as well. And I think the that art, especially that we see twice in this, is what, that's like I guess a flashback to mm-hmm. young Lex and something bad that happened to him that is maybe Clark's fault. That stuff is sort of almost in the horror genre, I feel like. So that that's cool. And you don't see Hitch doing that a lot, I feel like. Yeah. Let's turn to a more typical Brian Hitch book, which is Ultimate Invasion, number two from Marvel, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Brian Hitch. Very rare that you see two big books from the same artist in the same yeah. That's usually not how it works out, but I'm glad I love Brian Hitch. And here, this is following up on the cliffhanger of the last issue where the maker, the evil Reed Richards from the Ultimate Universe, has gone seemingly back to his own remade universe, except as we find out here, that's not exactly what's happening. And he's using time travel to wipe out some superheroes, control others, 
this issue doesn't focus on the 616 at all, so not really getting the invasion aspects, but we do find out how the maker has remade the Ultimate Universe in his image. There's some big changes here, some big riffs. What do you think about the second issue? We're Hitch Rich, and this is very much a Hitch book. Uh, a lot of big fight scenes, uh, cityscapes with uh, people. Uh, there's a, there's one uh, person in here who's like basically Brad Pitt. Did mm-hmm. you see? Uh, which I thought reminded me of some Greg Land art because it mm. feels very. Uh, Wait, which character was Brad Pitt? I must have missed that. Was that uh, Howard Stark? Was Brad? Pitt? Yeah, Howard Stark. There's this okay. one panel where I'm like, that is some Brad Pitt. Oh, 100%. You're absolutely right. But that's also like what Hickman is doing here is he's remaking the Ultimate Universe. And one of the things about the Ultimate Universe is they just cast folks in that. Like, yeah, yeah. Samuel Jackson was Nick Fury straight up before Samuel Jackson was Nick Fury in the MCU. So that makes a lot of sense here that he would be doing that. Well, and I'm curious, this also feels like Hickman's like, I love the maker. It's not a character that is maybe the most popular, but I'm still going to um, give him the center of this story and make it all about him to the point of rebuilding the ultimate universe in his very image. I'm curious what, I guess the invasion is coming later. Mm-hmm. Oh, do we think? Is that why this is I, the, for, the building of the forces? I think so. It has to be, right? Like That's my big question here is... The first issue, we got the Maker escaping the 616 universe, leaving the Illuminati behind. This issue, we find out how he's remade it, and it feels very much like a classic Marvel alternate universe story where it's, ooh, there's a riff on the Hulk, and there's a riff on Iron Man, and we get this army of Captain Americas and giant men and Captain Marvels and other things attacking, and that feels very classic ultimate universe to me. But the question is... What's the long-term ramifications of this? Is it this weird alternate ultimate universe? And if so, what does that mean? Are we getting spinoff titles from that? Or is it something that's going to impact the main Marvel universe? And if so, how? We're very much at the beginning of the story here. And I'm, I don't know, I'm fascinated to see where it goes. Yeah, especially with Hickman on it, it feels like... You know, we a lot of talk coming out of San Diego Comic-Con about um, Hickman and the X-Men and, like, what's going to happen with all that uh, in our Patreon Slack as well. And it feels like he sort of only swings for the fences. Mm-hmm. So it does make me think, what are the larger implications of this book? And will it be a about larger multiverse things? Will it be a full reestablishment of the Ultimate Universe? Because it feels like something that I don't know if they they want to do or we want them to do. I I don't think that he's going to do that, right? Because the, like we were just talking about, the Ultimate Universe was the thing that influenced and helped create the MCU, which in turn influenced the Marvel Universe in comics and sort of tweaked things in various ways. So it's been very much this feedback loop for the past decade and change. What Tickman's going to try to do here, I would imagine, is find the next iteration of that. Like, okay, we recreated the Marvel Universe for the modern era, and that ended up impacting the modern universe and the entirety of pop culture. What's next? You know, and I Mm -hmm. I trust that he's going to figure out what that is or go to NFTs. 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 Web3. Web three. Oh, <laughs> it's where he landed. Yeah, very cool. Whatever it is, it should be fascinating. Let's move on to talk about Per Evil. Number one from News mm. Comics, written by Mirka Andalfo, art by Laura Braga. This is about a member, singer in a band. Yes, yes I'm listening. <laughs> I'm curious to hear the answer to this question. This is about what, Alex? <laughs> All right. As far as I can tell, there is a lady who was in a band, and she met up with some sort of evil demon personification, something that we don't know exactly what it is yet, who is like a little girl, ran away with her so that she wouldn't kill everybody in some place, and okay. it is all happening again. That's what I can suss out here. I'll tell you what. I'm a fan of America Dalfu. This is yes, you are. one of the hardest to piece together plots <laughs> yeah. that I've I've read in a very long time. Especially, I I saw this in the stack. I was like, "Oh, per evil." Let's see. This is some fun. Yeah, Let's have some fun. Cats, I get it. And then I opened the book, and I was like, "What? This is like a paper doll mashup, like in the the satanic Bible situation, classic situation." I guess. Um, I I was a little bit confused throughout this, and I know the art sort of 
is in the Andolfo family of type of art, which I've has never been my favorite. So um, I definitely walked away from this thinking Alex is liking it. Probably. Mm, no, I don't think so. But I, I I did like the art better than you. I think Laura Braga does a good job here. The characterizations are clear. Um, just I, w- I wish the story was clearer. Mm. Alice Never After, number one, from Boob Studios, written by Dan Panosian, art by Dan Panosian and Giorgio Spalletta. This is a sequel to Alice Ever After, a book that posited what if Alice's adventures in Wonderland and she actually was crazy. And it, yeah. And what if uh, they weren't fun? Yes. <laughs> and mind you, great book. Great really book. Yeah. balanced a lot of talk about mental health and how it was dealt with a hundred plus years ago. I don't remember the exact yeah. date there, whatever that was. Uh, and mixed that with Alice's hallucinations of what's happening in Wonderland. Here, we're getting a sequel to that. Um, I'll tell you what. Still very into the art here. I mm-hmm. don't know if the story is working for me quite as well in this issue. How do you feel about it? Well, I think there's a mystery here, and there's some clues at the end that I, I'm i wondering where we're going to go. I mean, I'm going to say what I think. This might be considered a spoiler, but it feels like maybe she was locked away because she was pregnant. She was also pregnant, or she was mm. some, something happened. And then she is we're in the fantasy world for the back half and there's some strange things happening and maybe she's giving birth uh, in the real world or something. So like there's it, we, but it's unclear. And that was just my sort of like this could be it reading of it. This book is is a hard read uh, because it's very depressing a lot. Mm-hmm. If I can channel the Pete LePage uh, take on this book, but it's it's still very good and it's interesting. It feels very thoughtfully created. Uh, definitely there, and I'm willing to at least check out the next issue to have an idea of where things are going. I guess. My concern is the idea of the first series was very clear. Here, there seems to be a separation between the real world action and what's happening there and Alice's fantasies. And I want to start to see those start to smash together in some way. Yeah, I bet we will. I bet this is just yeah. like a little coy turn in the first issue and we're going to get those Totes. reveals next. Totes, Totes. and the goats, as I uh-huh. always say. Batman, yep, the Brave of the Bold. Twist. <laughs> Batman, the Brave of the Bold, number twist three. Twist McGist. From DC Comics, written by Dennis Culver, Ed Bryson, Christopher Canwell, Colin Kelly, and Jackson Lansing. Art by Otto Schmidt, Jeff Spokes, Javier Rodriguez, and Jorge Molina. So this is an anthology book. We are getting tales of Batman. We've got a tale of Superman. We've got another tale of Batman. And we've got a tale of Stormwatch here. The thing that was very surprising to me, to me <laughs> about this issue is... Is we didn't get a continuation of the Tom King Joker Batman story, which I thought was the marquee thing that we're getting in here. So surprising. Agreed. Agreed. And wasn't that it wasn't over. No. Like, there's more to yeah. get out of that. So I agree. I was sort of surprised by this. I I liked a lot of these stories. This Stormwatch story is the one that I'm especially like surprised by how much I like it. It's mm-hmm. it's really cool. I like the art. This this story, the, there's a turn here that really channels the horrifying scene from Superman 3 that mm-hmm. everyone in the internet is terrified of, including me. So uh, that was cool. I like the, the Christopher Cantwell story. is really nice. Great art. Uh, the first story with introducing Mr. Baseball, I thought was <laughs> weird. Tom yeah, Selleck must Tom be Selleck, turning yeah. over. Yeah, turning over turn, in his non-grave. Yes, just rolling in his bed back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. I I like the idea of Mr. Baseball. It was a little ridiculous, but it did feel like a very typical Gotham origin story. So when they first introduced a dude with a baseball face who has a Negan bat and he's killing people, I was like, yeah. come on, this is silly. But then the origin of it, it worked. Well, and let me throw this out. If this exact story appeared in a comic like 40 years ago, we'd be all like, whoa, they're doing Mr. Baseball in the new Batman sequel. (laughs) Pretty cool. I love him. He's scary. They say if you play Mr. Baseball, it makes you go crazy. Tom Mm -hmm. Selleck lost his mind, remember? (laughs) And I agree with you. The Javier Rodriguez art, in particular, the Christopher Cantwell story, absolutely gorgeous. Incredible Hulk number two from Marvel, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Nick Klein. This is taking us back 
to the Horror Hulk from two runs ago, but even more of a Horror Hulk as Hark wanders through the backwoods with his scarred little girl and encounters a church filled with zombies. Um, This, to me, two issues in, feels like Philip Gideon Johnson riffing on that horror run and then being like, yeah, but that wasn't real horror. That was Hulk horror. Yeah, (laughs) that's really funny. Because I thought that, too, it's sort of like... It could be scarier. Have you thought about that? Uh, and I do. There's a couple great moments in this. There's a, a point for whatever reason, this thing where Bruce Banner has to be murdered. And the the escalation of that is getting to the point. Where I'm like, OK, let's pull back on this thing a little bit. But it did lead, lead this to this cool image of Hulk's bleeding. Bruce Banner's bleeding out and this blood starts to turn green as it spills mm-hmm. out of him, which I thought was super cool. Uh, but and I really like Philip Kenny Johnson. This is good horror. I like that it's while the other stuff was horror stories with Hulk at the center. This feels like it's a full immersion into a horror world, which is a cool place to be. The only thing is, I'm a little. I want some clarity on how Hulk works, just mm-hmm. the basic mechanic, because there's been so many riffs on it, and I think we just need a quick reset. We had Hulk as a spaceship and all that. Uh, in the most recent run before that, it was like the green door and all this other stuff. And I just think we need a a little reset on the, how the powers work. Yeah, well, I think that's kind of what he's doing here. But I would also argue in the opposite direction that that's one of the things that's great about the Hulk is every writer gets to have their own take and throw it in there. And they're all kind of correct because the Hulk just keeps morphing and just keeps changing. And I love that. That's what I like. I think the Hulk is such a cipher for whoever comes in with a big swing. But I just want them to take him in and be like, hi, readers. Here's how the Hulk works. He has to be stabbed and then he can change maybe if he's in the right mood. And then it's like the Green Door stuff we're done with. Um, mm-hmm. The Gray Hulk, he's still around. Or like just like give us like the scorecard so yeah. we can move into it with a little more knowledge. Yeah. I'll also throw out there before we move on, Nick Klein's zombie characters in this. Great. Really horrifying. Super gross. Reminded me a little bit of the goon, weirdly, yes. sort of those characters, but cool stuff. I was going to say wrinkle. They're wrinkle zombies, which mm-hmm. is a very underserved, the, like the movie Cocoon, which I believe is full of wrinkle zombies. Absolutely. Did you know we're the same age as the wrinkle zombies in Cocoon? <laughs> no, <laughs> How dare you? Look, we're, we're hitting all of the memes. We're just going to do memes now. Yeah. World Tree, number four, from Image Comics, written by James Tyner IV, art by Fernando Blanco. This is following the story of an evil internet that's under the internet that's trying to kill our entire world, and the naked white-haired lady who is trying to physically kill us at the same time. Um, This issue, we're really tightening the noose on our main characters, these folks who found the underverse, the undernet back in the day and managed to stop it. Now it's re-emerging again. There is a reveal, a big reveal at the end of the issue that I think we suspected pretty early on, so I'm glad they got it out of the way early. But now that we have that secret out there, very excited to see where this is going going forward. Uh, Good stuff. And just a warning, very much for adults. Yeah, there's a lot of nakedness in here. And then this issue is just like everyone's yeah. like, hey, we're not dead. Let's kiss and have sex. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I just want to I just want to be clear about the nudity for everybody. I know you all get very upset about head. There's no head. There's just shaft. <laughs> what are you talking about? In the in these in the sex scene. Like I yeah. know people would be like, Ugh, no, I, I don't want to see the I, I know see what the you head. meant. But they see the shaft and they're like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Right? What? I don't know. Are you speaking to a particular member of the audience? No, no, Have no. You I'm, just, I'm joking letters? about the fact that I saw that and I was like, why are, why are we censoring part of the penis? At this point, we have seen 90% of the penis. You, it's, it's fine. You don't need to block it off. It's, being, it's, like, it's like if they blurred right under the nipple on a woman's breast or something. I'd be like, you don't need to do that. That's okay. We got to leave a little of the imagination, Alex. Yeah. It lets you fill in the blank. Yeah. What's going on? With what horrible you. things are happening to the tip of his penis? That's a great question to be revealed next issue. And this is a review that you can put on the back, a pull quote right on the back of the trade. <laughs> Children listen I, to our show sometimes. 
Hey, turn this down in the car, we should have said five minutes ago. <laughs> I uh, I like this book a lot. It is really scary. And there's so much talk about AI, specifically in, in relation to like the strikes and how AI people are like, AI is bad. I work in it. Watch out. And this book, every, all I can think of reading this book is like, this is how the AI is going to get us. It's going to become a naked woman and really start killing us. Yep. Great book, though. Great art throughout. Next up, Berserker, Poetry of Madness from Boom Studios by Steve Scrochi. This is the first issue of Berserker that doesn't have Matt Kint attached. Keanu Reeves is still there as the creative director. But this is very much a Steve Scrochi book front to back, going back in the day and showing, spoiler here, though you can figure this out as soon as they uh, reveal the setting, how Atlantis got destroyed yeah. As our Keanu Reeves Berserker character uh, works there, essentially. As yeah, a, he's an Atlantis uh, employee, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, I love Steve Scrooge. His yeah. art is so detailed, so over-the-top, violent and gross. He is perfect for Berserker. You get exactly what you want here and much, much more. I was very happy with this issue. Uh, agreed. It's it's nice to see that the, we're going to get more of these stories, uh, not just in the development of Berserker into other forms of media, but just in the comic book world, because this is great. I love the idea that uh, Atlantis fell and Berserker was sort of part of it in a in a good way. Uh, though when the fight breaks through the orgy, I thought that was very fun. And I also really liked that uh, our narrator character, I thought, was really fun and interesting. You don't usually get that take of like, I am this guy's assistant, but I really wish I was dating him. <laughs> and having that be the, <laughs> the take of the narration uh, was very fun and sort of sad. This character can go anywhere. So let's go. Yeah. Let's move over to our Night Terrors block. As we've been doing for the past couple of weeks, we've been reading all of the books that are coming out from D.C. under the Night Terrors label. This is where a new villain called Insomnia has plunged the entire D.C. universe, or most of it, into nightmares in order to find something called the Nightmare Stone. So I'm going to read off all of the titles here, and then we'll talk about some highlights. The big one is Night Terrors number 2, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Giuseppe Camicoli, Stefano Nessie, and Casper Wingard. This is the main title that is pushing the story forward in a big way. But then we've also got Night Terrors Harley Quinn number 1, written by T.D. Howard, Leah Williams, art by Hayden Sherman and Ben Templesmith. Night Terrors Angel Breaker number one, written by Tom Tim Seeley, art by Ricky Bright. Night Terrors Action Comics number one, uh, written by Leah Williams, Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Vasco Georgiev, Miko Suyen, and Fico Osio. Night Terrors Titans number one, written by Andrew Constant, art by Scott Godlewski. Night Terrors Detective Comics number one, written by Dan Waters, art by Ricardo Federici. Um, so overall, I continue to enjoy this event. Like, I think yeah. in my mind, the second week was still the best one. That was the best one with the most variants, the titles that were very exciting for me. Um, there's some stuff here. Like I love Tim Seeley. I don't know who angel breaker is. There's reference. Agreed. Yeah. There's references to a bunch of books that I'm sorry I missed. And so I had a little trouble keeping up with it. Um, but overall, Still, like, I like how varied these things are, different stories that they're telling through nightmares, different formats for nightmares. It's good stuff. I agree. I really like the the Harley Quinn w had so many different swings to it, and uh, the art style was really on display. And I like that some of them are sort of hewing close to, like, this is a dream. So all this dream logic comes through. And others are are just actual, like, telling parts of the story that are happening in the main title here, using the dream element to explore where the, the heroes are in their in their journey or whatever. So that's great. And as for the, the main book, I love bringing Sandman in here. And not Sandman from uh, Neil Gaiman's famous run, but Sandman – the Wesley Dodds, the uh, Justice Society of America member, who I always love. Uh, great to see him here and glad that I think he's going to become maybe a central part of this. Um, yeah, that's great. I wanted to throw something out at you. Do you think Sandman Sandman is going to show up by the end of this? Because I feel like there's no way of resolving this story that nightmares have in, ensconced the entire DC universe without – the Sandman showing up and being like deus ex marketing the whole thing at the end. Especially when it's like, 
two magic rocks are the cause. <laughs> like magic rocks, dreams. Come on, that's his whole thing. He's <laughs> exactly. often holding magic rocks. <laughs> I would have said a hundred percent yes, except it's strange to me to feature. Sandman with the gas mask. If you're mm-hmm. going to do the other Sandman, because <laughs> they're completely and they're not related at all. There's yeah. no connect, uh, and so it's sort of would well, there be. Was, there was a little like there was the nod yes. that Neil Gaiman put in the Sandman to that, but yes, I understand what you're saying. Uh, we'll see. I, I did want to throw out there two more that I thought were interesting. The Titans book I thought was interesting just because that's a team book where they're all in a nightmare and they're slowly yeah. working their way out of it together. Also, the art in there uh, was great. There's an image of Cyborg just being this monstrous pile of cords that I thought was very cool. And then Scary. the Detective Comics issue is almost the most far afield. It focuses completely on Commissioner Gordon and it almost feels like yeah, we're not even really going to deal with this as obvious stuff. This is just the most harrowing nightmare you could possibly imagine that uh, uh, that Gordon, who has already like lives a nightmare on a daily basis, can go to. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I thought it was great. And Ricardo Federici's art, which is great. Like, There's this thing that starts happening halfway through where you, you could probably figure out what the metaphor is, but Gordon starts like cracking apart literally under the pressure like his yeah. skin starts cracking and his bones start falling off uh it's really horrifying but very well done agreed and th- this almost takes the place this event of like what ifs that mm-hmm. used to run through all of the summer annuals and i think because i was trying to think why didn't they do this in october for halloween but it's it actually works as a great like crossover annual replacement and i really enjoy that yeah Predator number five from Marvel, written by Ed Bryson, art by Netho Diaz. This is being to a close this chapter of Predator with more TBD. But we get our main characters who are all fighting Predators on a spaceship. Do they triumph? You have to tune in to find out. <laughs> yeah. Nope, just Predators. Predators yeah. all the way down from here No, on I don't out. know. This is Listen, I really liked both of these series from Ed Bryson so far. They leave it yeah. on a bit of a note where they can follow up if they want to that I think is pretty exciting, and I hope they do. I've really enjoyed these series. Agreed. I really like that we have a, a main hero uh, from the first one that carried into this one, and a Predator of Predators is feels like those the elevator pitch because all – Comics are pitched in elevators, just a little mm-hmm. known fact. That's why the elevators at San Diego are always full. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but, uh, but this is good, and I, I look forward to more. Both this and the Alien, Aliens book have been such a nice surprise. Newburn number nine from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jacob Phillips. It has been a while since this book came out, so if you don't remember, it is about a guy who is essentially a go-between between the various gangs in New York City. He is a detective who works for them, but also kind of against them at the same time, and he's training an assistant who, in, in his trade, what were you going to say? I would say he's like a fixer, but instead yeah. of a fixer for one uh, criminal syndicate, he's a fixer for all of them. He's that good. And also the cops. Uh, the cops mm-hmm. are sort of another gang that everyone has to deal with. So, yeah, it's I, I from a premise point of view, it's great. I think this has been a great run. Jacob Phillips' art is awesome. I like that this centers, this story uh, centers on a older man having a young person fix his internet. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, well, he, he has a blog. That's one of the big revelations we find out in this issue. So he's a blogger. Yeah. And it's finally time that the greatest generation got out there and put their thoughts on paper. Oh, my God. That always works their out. Internet paper. So well when old people post on the internet. Uh, good issue. Let's talk about The Neighbors, number five for Boob Studios, written by Ooh. Jude Ellison S. Doyle, art by Letizia Catanici. This is the last issue of this title, a absolutely horrific book in the best way, in a good way, about yeah. these folks who move into a small town. Slowly, one by one, the members of the family start disappearing and seemingly being replaced by some other sort of beings. And we kind of find out what that is this issue. Um, this is one of my favorite horror comic books I've read in a really long time. I thought this was really well done. I thought the art, like I mentioned before, if you're a fan of something is killing the children, I think you're going to like this as well. Definitely one to pick up. Agreed. This book found new ways to horrify you every issue. And even this one where it's sort of like, 
we there aren't a lot of surprises here because they're sort of resolving what's been on the table. But halfway through, there's this image. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to see that when I close my eyes from now on. I legitimately I read. I think I know what you're talking about uh, when she takes the face off. Yes. Not yeah. happy Legit. about that. I read the book and then went to sleep and I closed my eyes. And I was like, oh, I'm seeing that thing. Yeah, <laughs> oh, no. that's what I'm saying. The only things that when I close my eyes, I see are Dr. Mario pills. Sure. If I've been playing a lot of Dr. Mario and now this face. So oh, that's yeah. my life. If only there was some way of combining the two. Oh, I know. Horr- horrifying mass dropping. But this is um, it's a great series. I'd say pick up the trade when it comes out. A lot of great conversation about the nature of love in this, which I thought was really cool and sort of weaving that into the story in a great way. And um, I guess be careful where you move is the real lesson. Next up, we're going to talk about Wolverine number 35 from Marvel, written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Jose Rip. Before we talk about the issue itself, two little notes here. First of all, this is the first time we can actually talk about this title without somebody yelling at us the entire time, which is nice. Shouts. And the second thing, just as a little programming note that I meant to mention at the beginning, but one of the big issues of the week is the Hellfire Gala number one, which is going to kick off Fall of X. Unfortunately, we did not get that title sent uh, in time to take this episode of the podcast, The Stack. Um, maybe if we can get somebody to agree to not yell about it, we'll talk about it on next week's Stack or at the very least. I think that's a great show. idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, yes, because obviously it is a big issue and some big stuff is going to go down there. But let's talk about Wolverine number 35 because some big stuff goes down here as well. Wolverine and Beast are fighting. Finally, Wolverine has gone to the rest of the X-Men on Krakoa and recruited them to take them to the fight against all the beasts and Wolverines. Um, so big, enormous action scene throughout here. It's a little unclear since it seems like they're kicking it into new arc um, or potentially even a new title. But this seems like kind of the end here, which was surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't think this story could go in any other direction. Like you got like 50 Wolverines, 50 beasts. Everyone's mad. There's a lot of murder. Like there's we're at a peak heightening of the Wolverine (laughs) versus beast story. So I get that this was the end. But it, it ends in a place where it's like, ah, well, that's bad for the X-Men. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I won't say what it is exactly, but I think it makes me think there are a lot of big changes coming almost immediately to, some, to the x Krakoa universe. Something that I think we have sort of said, I think it's time to move this story forward. So it feels like it's even the outer books like Wolverine, it's time to like put away the insanity for a second because we have to get the core back in order. I, I will say in this case, it's too bad because I've been loving this run. This is one oh, of great. my favorite Wolverine runs ever. And to have it wrap up so relatively quickly here, I felt like we needed a postscript, something where honestly, the thing Pete has been asking for the idea that like, what is up with beast has beast gone so far. I felt like we needed to see some resolution there, you know, whether it's yeah. a negative resolution, like Beast dies for good or is thrown into the pit or something like that, or ultimately redeems himself in some matter. You just don't get that conclusion there. And it did feel to me like, well, got to finish up this issue because Fall of X is coming. We've got to move Wolverine into place to do this next thing. So if that's true, that's a little bit of a bummer for me. Well, but I would argue the resolution is what we're going to get in Hellfire Gala and, and going forward. Like, I feel like they were like, hey, guys, whoever, if you have a fun, wild story you want to tell that's a little uh, off the chain, now's the time to do it. Because in a, in like mm-hmm. six months, we're making these changes. Yeah. And that's what and we got here, which is great. Regardless, go back and check this out if you didn't. Next up, Poison Ivy Uncovered, number one from DC Comics, written by Jessica Burby, art by Claire Rowe et al. This is another cover collection from Mm -hmm. DC Comics. And what they've been doing, and uh, I love this, is they go to very light story element for the main character and then rerun a bunch of variant covers and main covers focusing on the character. Here, these are all from, or mostly all, from the Poison Ivy series that are currently running. And I think this is my favorite one they've done so far, mostly because the other ones, they were fun, but they're mostly like the Joker being like, oh, I'm saying some Joker stuff here. It felt like a Poison Ivy story because it's Poison Ivy talking directly to the audience and saying, oh, the Lamia spores, which is the main plot of Poison Ivy. Oh, they've infected you. Oh, let let me show you some stuff. 
just before you go. And so it still had this horror element of him yeah. implicating the audience in this action that's happening, which I thought was a really fascinating dynamic to read, even when I'm looking at mostly at covers that I've seen before. Yeah, agreed. It was it was very cool. And I think the other part of this book that's great, the covers, I mean, Poison Ivy, people really there's so much variety in the art styles and the different artists that come through, as opposed to some of the other books have been like five covers by one artist that are good, but they are like the Joker one, I think was a lot of that. This is just a ton of different artists or a ton of different and working in a ton of different styles. I really liked the uh, Tula Lote uh, cover, the Zoe Thorogood one I thought was great. Just so many great riffs and a lot of the Harley Poison Ivy ones later on were also great. I thought. Yeah. Good stuff. Definitely pick this up. Next up, Tenement number two from Image Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Andrea Sorrentino. This is part of the Bone Orchard Mythos, and per the title, this takes place in a dilapidated apartment building. There are a bunch of folks that we met in the last issue that we know are all connected in some way. By the end of this issue, we still don't know how they're connected, but spoiler here, basically their entire apartment building has been shifted into the dimension of the bone orchard, I guess we're calling it. Probably the bone orchard. I guess let's call it the bone orchard. Why not? This, uh, we were were talking about this a little bit on the Patreon Slack. Somebody was saying they weren't quite into the tenement thing as much. There was one issue of setup, and then this issue shunted it to another level entirely, where this feels like a perfect horror movie pitch to me. Uh, I was feeling a little like, Clive Barker, Hellraiser, that sort of thing. So I I was very into this issue. I was iffy on the first issue, but I loved the second issue. I agree. This sort of like you're like, what's the weird connection between these people? And I think it's they live in the same building. It's probably maybe sort of the strongest connection <laughs> yeah, yeah. between them. <laughs> uh, and obviously, there's going to be more to it, but I I think this this issue did, like you're saying, really. It felt like the end of the number one where it's like, here's what's going to be happening. Here's the premise and off these characters go. So I'm, I'm on board with this as well. Yeah. And there's a phenomenal page. I forgot to write down who did the colors here, but there's a phenomenal page where they show what's going on outside their window, which I thought was terrifying and awesome. If you had one guess, I think you would guess who did the colors on this and it is Dave Stewart. Oh, there you go. Creed, the next round, number two from Boob Studios, written by Latoya Morgan and Jay Jimison, art by Wilton Santos and Joe Jaro. This is taking place in the future of the Creed universe and following the daughter of Adonis Creed. As we left the last issue, she is going to her aunt to train her to be a boxer. Now, the last issue... We joked about, we're like, ha, 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 that's very funny. It takes place in like 2032 or something like that. That's ridiculous. And I think we both said, oh, that's probably just so they could light it up with the timeline and have a daughter. Nope. Nope. No, 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 no. Michael B. Jordan, he's he's making real steel is what he's doing here in this issue. (laughs) Has a bunch of real steel robots that are boxing. Wild. Agreed. Like, I was like, who... Like, are there fans of Creed who are like, I really wish we got into some sci-fi stuff in this boxing franchise? Because that's where we are. It's not only about this the story of this daughter finding her place in the family legacy and learning how to be great. It's also about investing in the right robot company. Which I was like, okay, let's go. Yeah, that that is a insane twist to throw. Not in the first issue, yes. but the second issue. But I don't know. I'm kind of into it. Like the idea that Michael B. Jordan's character is pushing forward to this insane sci-fi premise. And that meanwhile, his daughter is doing the classic Creed Rocky stuff at the same time with the family dynamic and everything. I I like it. And like the fact that it, it makes sense to me that they're like, yeah, we probably can't do this as screen. on screen. We can't do this as Creed 4. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of robot fighters here. And ultimately, of course, she's going to end up fighting a robot. Like, we all know that's going to happen. Yeah. But do it in comics. Like, do a wild, crazy concept in comics and see what happens. It's fun. I like the idea that we go back and watch the Creed movies and we're like, all, all he talks about is, like, <laughs> robot robot fights. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I, now I see how this all oh, makes yeah. sense. He kept collecting all those Rock'em Sock'em robots. Now I get I it. I want to learn how to fight like a steel robot. Okay, mm-hmm. says Rocky. 
<laughs> the Avengers number three from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by C.F. Villa. In this issue, the Avengers are dealing with one of the first uh, epochal climactic events that they're going to have to deal with per a prophecy from Kang. This one is bringing a immortal city or something like that to earth and a bunch uh, of folks <laughs> are attacking them. Um, I'll tell you what, I was digging this title for the first two issues. This issue to be brought into focus, this thing that I feel like a lot of Marvel writers in particular are trying to do, which is create their own black order. Like that's, that's just Marvel exactly writers. Exactly what I yeah. was going to say. DC it's writers like, too. Like I feel like yeah. Night Terrors is doing that as well because Insomnia has his like uh night nights or whatever yeah, they're called. It, it, I think it's the sleepless nights or the something like night, that. Sure. Which is fine. Like I get it, yeah, to yeah. have lieutenants or whatever, but they're all like exactly the black order where it's like Crazy names, mostly undefined Long powers. Names. Yeah, a lot of adjectives. You don't see mm-hmm. a lot of adjectives thrown around in yeah. in your name, <laughs> but hey, in these you do. Uh, but what do you think about this issue? Otherwise, I mean, I like it. Uh, like, I also think it's for a comic book writer. It's like, what's the fastest way to get a character I create onto the movie screen? I'm going to make a little black order. See if we can <laughs> throw them up there. They're cool. They're yeah, got, they look uh, weird. Five choices for you. Yeah, uh, but I I like this. Jed McKay is one of my favorite writers uh, right now in superhero comics, and to I like that we get to see all the Avengers fight their own battle here. If he's further defining sort of his take on these characters, you know, we I sort of I think we all were like, huh, it's funny this Avengers team. It's basically the same Avengers team as before with some small substitutions, but. I like that we're sort of getting into their voices now a little bit in, in Jed's version of this. And the art by C.F. Phila is great. Indigo Children, number five, from Image Comics, written by Kurt Pyers and Rockwell White, art by Alex Diodo. This is following a bunch of adults as kids. They develop these powers that were all indigo in different ways. And in mm. the present... They are trying to get back together while running away from various shadowy agencies that are after them. This issue, specifically, there's a dude that has essentially been hunting them their entire lives, who they're fighting against. One of the things that I love about the series, this is such a base level thing for comics, but this comic does it so well, is each issue feels like an issue. Each issue feels like its yeah. own adventure. Even though there's a direct continuation of the action in the previous issue, this is basically like the Fast and the Furious action scene that's happening over the course of it, and I loved it. Yeah, this whole series is plotted like a great superhero action movie. I think I've compared it to Chronicle, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, and it feels like that, where the powers are really shown and seen when we meet the characters, and now that they're a team, it's about, this is just the set piece issue, and it's fun, then we're going to get back into more character stuff going forward. There's a a member of the Indigo Children is uh, chasing them, right? Is hunting mm-hmm. them. So that's uh, curious to see how that plays in. Uh, the one thing, like, I just want more. I want more backstory. We're not getting a ton. Like, if this were a movie, this feels like middle of the first act, and we haven't gotten to where we get to actually learn. I, I feel like we it. got more backstory in the previous issues. This was just kind yeah. of the action issue. But I, I get what you're saying. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 30 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGuinness. In this issue, Doc Ock is fighting with Norman Osborn and trying to turn him evil. That doesn't work so well. Meanwhile, Spidey is turning a little evil because he is wearing Doc Ock's tentacles and it's turning him into Doc Ock. It's Uh, turning him a little superior, I would argue. There you go. And of course... All of these things that I just said tie into Spider-Man and Norman Osborn's guilt over the death of Kamala Khan. That's Whoa. that's the big uh, takeaway here uh, that follows directly on all of the action that happens before it. It's just wild to say to someone like, oh, yeah, Kamala Khan died and Norman Osborn really got super upset about it. <laughs> it's just like he's the one who's feeling this the most. Like what what an explanation is needed for that. But we talked about that and how that was not great, and we wish it didn't happen, especially when it's basically being reversed immediately. It feels like such a little quick cheat that didn't need to happen to do what they wanted to do from a storytelling perspective. But this issue 
the, this series is when it's fun, it is very fun. I like a lot of Zebwell's choices. It's the higher stakes stuff that feels like makes people like, why are you making this sort of weird big swing? But the weird little swings like we see a ton of in this issue are great. There's a dolt off here between Spidey and Doc Ock. That's fun. The uh, Doc Ock Green Goblin stuff is great. The the thing he's like, well, since you're dying, I'll just tell you, you outsmarted me once. And then he's like, ah, <laughs> it's uh, very fun. Yeah, I, I agree with you. There's good bits in here, but overall, it feels like Spider-Man is kind of lost in the mix of everything that's going on, which is a little bit of a bummer. And I don't know. I just can't get with this Norman Osborn thing. It's well, bad news for you. That's like every part of this. I know, universe I know. Right and now. not to get too much into spoilers, but there were a bunch of teases over this weekend from San Diego Comic Con, where it looks like. Can I? Can I mention something from an upcoming so. thing? Because it's news. It looks like they're going for, uh, through some variety of circumstances, Spider-Man becomes the new Goblin is what they're doing. And they're going to be doing that long, long-term storytelling for a while. So, I don't know. <laughs> well, it just and also Superior Spider-Man's coming back. And I'm like, why are we making him the bad guy? Like, I, I just want to yeah. see some good Spidey stories. Like, and these villains, like I guess people like Superior Spider-Man, and I liked it some of it, but it's it needs to be a short-term thing. It's not something I want to like keep coming back to and keep mm-hmm. making a part of the central storytelling here. And especially like Spider-Man becoming Green Goblin. Okay, why? What? <laughs> and then Green Goblin's going to be Spider-Man, and we're like, is this fun for anybody? <laughs> like, hey kid, here's a comic. It's this old guy who's evil is now Spider-Man. Enjoy. Yeah. I guess we'll see. Ultimately, it's always going to be up to the execution and how it's done. I'm given the execution of the past couple of issues of this, I'm a little bit iffy, but we'll see how it goes. Rogue Sun, number 14 from Image Comics, written by Ryan Parrott, art by Abel and Marco Renna. In this issue, this is very confusing, so hang in there for a second. There <laughs> is, there's various versions of this character, Rogue Sun, who have held the mantle of Rogue Sun. Our current dude, who is a bit of a jerk, has been thrown inside the Sunstone, the source of the Rogue Sun's powers, where he has met his dad, who died, who is also trapped in the Sunstone. Meanwhile, there is a medieval version of Rogue Sun who is running around in the jerk dude's body and kind of wrecking his life and making some really big, very bad choices in this issue. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on in this title, but... As I say, everyone, this continues to be, I think, my favorite of the Bassiverse titles. It's very It's fun. very funny. You've definitely earmarked this as your fave, and that, yeah. that colors me reading, and I'm like, wow, this is so – there's so much going on here. In this universe where it's like we're sort of always talking about, like, this is great, simple storytelling, and this one, I'm like, ah, yeah, okay. And I don't know – I can't tell what the riff exactly is because mm-hmm. it just feels like – like we're just spinning through these ideas and who knows where we're going to land. Well, I understand what you're saying. I think if you're talking about the riff, like it's kind of a Batman thing, but not exactly. And yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I was like, ba- Batman feels like not what it is to me. Well, I, don't... But I think that's why it works is because it's like skirting all of these comic book ideas and mashing them together and then very much doing its own thing. I agree with you. It's very slippery in terms of what it is referencing and what it is riffing off of. But I, I like that. I like that it is this stew of ideas where the main goal is how much of a ringer can we put this main character through every single issue? That's great. Yeah. Like the stakes are always insanely high for him. He hates it and doesn't want to be yeah. a part of it. And then, but his better nature wins out. I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's fun. I like. I, and I don't, I don't dislike it. It's just funny to me how much you do like it. Cause to me it's, cause it's almost like, uh, like Iron Man meets Scarlet Witch meets like, uh, uh moon. What's the, uh, sleepwalker, the mm-hmm. Marvel comics character. And I'm like, all right, that's a wild mix. A little bit. A little Darkhawk in there for sure. Yeah. Black Knight a little bit. Like, it's wild. You put all that stuff together, baby, you got a stew. Just because the fans asked for it. Yeah. Uh, whenever I go into a new comic book shop, I'm like, where do you keep your stew? And they're always like, ah, it's in the back. 
to one that I'm sure we could agree on. The Seasons Have Teeth, number four from Boob Studios, written by Dan Waters, art by Sebastian Cabral. This is following a photographer who is trying to take pictures of all four seasons who in this reality are monsters who exist, who cause these seasons to happen. They're all have different personalities. And what we've discovered over the course of these four issues, the final issue here, is... They very much tie into the mental state and history of this character who did some not-so-great stuff in his past. Um, this series was phenomenal. Loved I, I, it. Yeah. I My mental note was like, remember the series when, I do, when we do our best of the year because yes, this has yes. to be on the list. A hundred percent. I've loved every single issue. The specificity of this book from the basic premise of like, well, I guess the seasons are personified in big monsters that are not really kaiju, but sort of in that family of things. And the emotional core to story, the way it was sort of slowly and meticulously spooled out, the reveals we get here and the connection points between our main character and someone that he meets, I thought were really cool and surprising Uh, At the same time, it ended in sort of an interesting way. I thought we were going to get something else. There's some cutaway scenes that I thought were really cool. It's just very good across the board. One of my favorite, definitely my favorite in the stack this week. Yeah, I don't I don't want to spoil too much about this issue, but I will say that versus it got purposely less and less straightforward as it went that we the first issue is basically like there's a big monster and it's a season I'm trying to take a picture of it. Why? Yeah. Uh, because it's cool to take a picture. It turns out there's some other reasons over the course of the series. A lot of that emotionally is unfolded in the third issue. But then this fourth issue almost literally presents you with a Rorschach test that you can look at and say, what do you see in there? Like this is a discussion yeah. that people have at a certain point with one of the images and Big spoiler here, but that's ultimately what we're left with. I love that. Like, I love, yeah. I love an ambiguous ending where it's clear the writer has something in mind, but is not going to feed it to you. You know? Yeah. Well, and I like that it's as the emotional stakes went up, the monsters became less important, and that's mm-hmm. why I think Winter, as a monster, is the most sort of like basic horror monster that feels. It's the least abstract of the monsters and Mm -hmm. the one that they can shoot and sort of light on fire and stuff and sort of get away with because the emotional part of the story is the monster and the hard to deal with part. And like you're saying, the way it leaves us is sort of like, hey, these are big emotions and there's no right answer. So you figure it out, reader. Great stuff. Definitely pick up the series. I thought it was wonderful. I hope they don't do any more because this was a very (laughs) pleasing (laughs) four-issue series. Avengers Beyond, number five from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. This is following a new character who's trying to kill all the Beyonders, and it finally all comes down to this. This is the last issue of the series. I was a little disappointed with this as an ending. I've been loving both of the series they've been doing so far, but this one actually was a little too ambiguous for me, um, you know, opposite the previous issue that we just talked about. Yeah, like, you know, we've had a, quite a journey in Landy Land here, and this one felt like it, it, it did sort of run out of gas a little bit. It felt like after everything, it was like, yeah, I'll put it back. I'm sorry. And then the the Beyonder stuff, I was like, because I like the idea, a memory, pulling it out. Like there were some interesting things here, but the way it landed, I was just like, ah, I, it wasn't all quite there. I think you're saying I it's this has been the high octane Avengers series, just with crazy specific ideas each issue, and this issue. Yeah, like you were saying, they just couldn't quite wrap up the plot. They couldn't stick the landing gear, but that's okay. I enjoyed the all-out Avengers and Avengers Beyond up until this, but uh, there you go. Click, click, boom, number two from Image Comics, written by Doug Wagner, art by Doug Dabs. This is following a woman who is a podcaster, I believe, or a journalist or something like that, and she is following around What's the difference, Alex? Wow. Podcaster nothing, or journalist? Nothing, nothing. Man. Exactly. Nothing, man. Exactly. 
She is following around this woman who is a killer or vigilante or something like that. Now I'm 100% clear who likes to take photographs of people. And uh, that's what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And set traps and is very good at that. I like this uh, series. These first two issues have been fun. I think the art, the Doug Dabs art, uh, Doug, Doug, we got two Dougs here working on the book. Doug Dabs is uh, really good R. I like this character. Do you think it's sort of- Doug Doug uh, goes to Landy Land? Do you think they hang out there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doug Doug goes to Landy Land. I've seen that pornographic film. Mm. The uh- <laughs> They don't show any head in that just show. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you keep recommending it. You love the mystery. It's great. What's going on down there? Yeah, what's going on? Well, everyone, every head is different. It's like a fingerprint. Oh. Uh, that explains what the cops did to me the other day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have, I've been meaning to ask you some questions about that uh-huh. because that, that's, I don't know if they were cops. <laughs> Getting back to this book, it's uh, well, there was a movie a few years ago that I, then became a TV series about a young girl who was like just badass, and she had been raised by uh, an old man, I think her father or grandfather, in the woods, um, and I remember. Watching that, and that—that that is very much the vibe here, the backstory that we're. Are you getting. thinking of Little House on the Prairie? Yes, that's it. Oh yep. man, because the prairie is fucked up. You got to learn to fight <laughs> if you're going to live on the prairie, oh especially God. in a little house, because it's you want to, you sort of want a big house, mm-hmm. protect you from all the prairie stuff. I can't quite hold on to this book. There's something about the tone that is just not clicking for me. I do think Doug click, Wagner click clicking for me. Doug Wagner's books are very specific in the tone. We've yeah. read uh, Vinyl and Plush and a couple of the other ones that he's written, and they're all like, "I've got an idea and I'm barreling forward with it, no matter what. Get on board or get behind." And this is one that I'm definitely behind. Like, I just I can't focus on the action enough. Um, just based on the dialogue and the way the characters are treating it. Um, but I do think the art is interesting and the stuff that's happening is interesting, even if I'm not quite sure of the plot at this point. Well, and I think that there is a little bit of a tonal mismatch between the the silent main character who is great at killing people and setting traps and stuff and the podcaster who talks like she's on a podcast constantly throughout mm-hmm. every single page and panel of of the story. But I actually, it's a, that that mismatch I sort of like because it it they fix each other's extremity if you know what I mean mm-hmm. where her sort of light weird tone of the dialogue helps make sense of sort of all of the Polaroid taking murder that's happening. Hollow's Eve number five from Marvel written by Erica Schultz art by Michael Dowling. This is the last issue of this title. Kind of she is going to show up in Amazing Spider-Man and then there's a one shot coming in October. But this is about a character who has a bunch of magical Halloween masks that give her powers. She is facing down the folks that are trying to take her down and retake her masks. And it leads us directly into potentially what her next story arc is. Like we talked about with every issue, I was so surprised how much fun this title is. And I think it ended in a fun way with a part of the continuity that I haven't particularly liked, but I got excited about to see where it goes next. I agree completely. Like spinning out of the Spider-Man crossover that I think we all were like, this doesn't make a ton of sense. And I don't know. I don't know why this they chose these characters to put together. But the fact that that Hollow's Eve has been such a great book and going back into that continuity with uh, Madeline Pryor and uh, Limbo and um, and is it ben? Chasm? Chasm. Chasm is, is Ben Riley, right? Yeah. Uh, is uh, it's making I got excited as well, and so like I'm curious, and also like there's a limb. They go to like the embassy, the limbo embassy in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I think which I was like, oh, I don't know, what a fun building to walk past every day to go to your <laughs> job at the bodega or whatever. Yeah, could you imagine if you're walking in an office building that usually had like nice sight lines, and suddenly hell, it, it's just hell. You look out your window and you're like, Ugh. oh, hell, raising hell. The but this is really good. Do you think they and have the sweet greens forward. in that building? Because I think probably. Well, sweet greens definitely is hell, hell adjacent. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, I gotta think that. And, but I will say, it's the best sweet greens is the one in the limbo embassy. Oh, really? Okay, I prefer well, the, the. I prefer the just salad in hell. 
<laughs> oh, interesting. I guess that's the more down to earth version. I also spend. I get it mixed up because I go to the limbo embassy uh, where I, I'm sort of learning how to <laughs> All right, go under the, bend over and go under a very yeah. low pull. Less scary, but harder. Here's the thing: once you do it for a while, it's just as scary as as hell limbo. Oh wow. Anyway, great book. I definitely recommend it. Let's move on and talk about Old Dog, number six from Image Comics by Declan Shalvey. This is picking up after the oh, insane. <laughs> insane. Uh, old, old Dog, number five, is one of the most insane, unhinged books I yeah. think I've read all year. Uh, this book started, we had Declan on the show back before number one came out. And we knew that there was a little bit of a weird sci-fi premise, but the last issue revealed that our main character, who was an old spy... That's pretty yeah. much all we kind of knew about him that had been through some sort of weird machine actually turns into a horrific goop monster. He's goo. He's, he's, he's goop goo. monster. This issue, we're picking up off that. And there are at least textually, at least plot wise, maybe not visually, even wilder revelations about what is going on with him that completely Definitely. reframes this entire series. Well, and like, I agree, because it the back end of this, I was like, that's wild to go there also, when we haven't even really reckoned with the goo revelation. <laughs> yeah. the, the the daughter character, uh, Retriever, I think is her code, code name, she shows up and is like, oh, we got all this other stuff to deal with, and then she's like, we got to talk about the goo, though, right? And it's like, <laughs> yes, we do have to talk about the goo. Um, but it's great action. I like the the way that it's drawn is excellent. I'm just curious where it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, at this point, it could go anywhere and I would follow it because the swings are so big in this book and so wild. And the fact that Declan levels it down in these these spy tropes, like this is... Two spies are being attacked by a bunch of faceless enemies on a small island. Like, it's a classic, like, James Bond, Mission Impossible type set piece. But then in the middle of it, you have this goo talk. You have these revelations that we're not spoiling here about Old Dog and where he actually comes from and his relationship with his daughter and all of these things that are nuts. So this this book is nuts, is what I would say. I mean, maybe it's like Old Dog and all these are new tricks. Is that why it is okay, that? Okay, I can get with that. But let me throw this out of you. If you look at Old Dog, you scramble the letters, it spells DLD Goo. <laughs> DLD Goo. Oh, it's all right it's backward, there. It's God Low. <laughs> See, this is oh, the kind of stuff. figuring out so many things. This is why we're journalists. Twist. Well, I am Iron Man. Number five, from Marvel, written by Mara Ayel Delay, art by Doton Akande. This is the last issue of this title, which has been a bunch of done-in-one stories going through the history of Iron Man. In here, we get a crazy take on what happens to Marvel characters, or specifically to Iron Man when he dies. The plot here is basically, this is revealed a couple of pages in, and then they deal with the ramifications of it, is basically every time... Tony Stark dies, he has it set up so that his consciousness is backed up into a clone. But there's plenty of times when he almost dies or like dies for a couple of seconds and then they go into a Highlander situation where both of those Iron Men have to, one of them has to kill the other because there can't be too many Iron Men in the world. Uh, Every issue of this book has had a wild, incredible idea that makes total sense for Iron Man. I've been very impressed with the series. Me too. Uh, this was right up there with um, Seasons Have Teeth as my favorite book of the week. The th- This has been the most creative takes on Iron Man in uh, forever, it feels like. Both the story that Alex just described and the art, I think, has been fantastic. Like the way it's the perspectives, the sort of different uh, POVs on all this. It goes all over the place in the over the course of this story, and I just think this is a great series worth picking up every issue. The Dead Lucky, number seven from Image Comics, written by Melissa Flores, art by French Carlo Magno. This is also in the massive verse, and we're following an ex-military lady who has electric and ghost powers and also pilots a giant mech. There was a big swerve, I believe it was last issue, where the... Uh, the corporate forces she was fighting in San Francisco, she decided to work for them in exchange for them to treating everybody in San Francisco better. That's kind of where we are now, and she's going off on her first missions for them. 
I love this rapid, uh, this massive change of status quo here. This really works for me. I I like this character a little more than I like the title, but this set of circumstances, I think, blows it up in a really big way that makes it more exciting and interesting for me. I You like uh, Golden, uh, sorry, The Rogue Son. I like this one. This is the mm. one of the massive books that I think is really, again, super specific. The idea that um, she has electric powers and sort of the, the ghosts of soldiers that she fought with haunt her. And she's just constantly <laughs> feeling guilt about that and has to use it where, like you're saying, the sort of reframing of the story is really putting that into sharp relief. We get some flashbacks here that I think are pointing directly to the situations that led her to be where she is. And I think it's it's all really working for me. Last but not least, She-Hulk number 15 from Marvel, written by Rainbow Rowell, art by Andre Janelet. This is also the last issue of this book, but don't worry. What's happening? I don't know. It's the end of the world, man. But this book is actually coming back with this team as Sensational She-Hulk pretty soon, so don't worry. They're back. But this is finishing up the story of Scoundrel, the guy who seemed like a love interest potentially for She-Hulk, but actually per his name, was a scoundrel. She is dealing with the literal fallout there as he is in a bomb somewhere that is going to destroy all of New York. We get a great, I thought, romantic end here. I was very mm. happy with the end of the series. Agreed. I, I think all three of us, and including Pete, were very worried about this. Uh, Pete especially really didn't like this scoundrel. He hates a scoundrel, loves a rom-com, so I'm sure somewhere Pete is uh, happily uh, watching Ted Lasso, but he's also reading this comic and enjoying the way it ends. Weird that he doesn't like a scoundrel, but he does like Han Solo, who's described as a scoundrel. 100%. Yeah, you know what? I'm starting to think Pete can sometimes be uh, at odds with himself. Have you ever what? thought that? No. Or a bit of, uh, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I that's the kind of so. thing you can say when your friend's not around, you know? Yeah, absolutely. He'll never find out. <laughs> and if you don't want to find out, you can support us at patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. The stack, all shaft, as usual. <laughs> A stack is sort of a big shaft when you it think is. about it. And there's no head. Mm-hmm.